Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gabe, and we're going to start off with a really short email. I like those two. Sometimes I like the long ones, but the short ones, they're good too. There is an old saying, writes Chris, if you can't dazzle them with your brilliance, baffle them with your BS. I wasn't expecting BS to yeah, end it. Yeah. Well, it's in, it's in reference to the study we looked at out of Graz, Austria, where even scientists, even the authors of scientific studies use unnecessary descriptive, well, not even descriptive, quali- words laden with emotion in their abstracts. In this novel study, right. we significant f- to boot, we found significant differences with important consequences for the important, significant, novel. Uh, Those are redundant. You don't need them. They capture the attention of people like me and Gabe and people like you, and they're unnecessary. That was the point of that one. And then one last question he asked. I would be interested to know the latest information on what will become of the Arecibo Observatory. Oh, down in Chile. In Puerto Rico. It's, um, (laughs) it's It's a beautiful telescope, or it was, it's been de- decommissioned now in this bowl in the in the forest. Okay, yeah. And I believe my the latest information that I was able to obtain was that it's going to be turned into a center for biological research, a STEM center. But if I'm wrong, Fantastic. please correct us out there for everyone listening to this broadcast. Anyone who knows what's going to happen at the Arecibo Observatory or what once was that observatory, let us know. We have listeners in Puerto Rico, and what a great place to learn STEM. It looks like a beautiful place. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so one quick little bit of news here, Connor. Speak, that is my name, yeah. Uh, yeah. And speaking of learning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so teenagers around the world, on the whole, have gotten worse at mathematics, according to the only global assessment of academic performance for yeah kids, essentially. The PISA, a math reading and science test given to... 700,000 15-year-olds from 81 nations. It happens every three years. Normally, this this past year, the 2022 test was the first time it was given since the pandemic. So the, mm. the one before that was 2018. And that gives us a glimpse into what has happened to education. In the following, last five years. Yeah, following the, the COVID lockdowns. Okay, so on average, students from all nations scored 15 points lower in math than they did in 2018. In reading, the drop was 10 points. So hold, hold on, hold on. 15 and 10 out of 100. No, they, it's not. A, it's not a 100 point scale. It's about a 500 point okay, scale. So okay. that's a lot less than than what it sounds, but still, it's significant. The scores across the board have gone down. So three, for the Western world, by three percent or two percent, yeah, roughly. But still, yeah. they're, 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 significant. Yeah, right. Yeah significant a word that we probably shouldn't use oh. based on yeah, anyways for the western world it was particularly bad germany scored worse than it has ever scored ever in any of those categories and in math it dropped 25 points so yeah bad the u.s also plummeted in math in the other two categories stayed the same as in 2018 which ones uh in in reading and science stayed the same mm-hmm. but in math plummeted gotcha participants from asia Meanwhile, cleaned up. Singapore and five other Asian educational systems, that's Macau, Taiwan, or Chinese Taipei, I believe is what you're supposed to say. Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea outperformed everyone else across the board in math and in science. Sorry, real quickly. Outperform- outperformed relatively? Compared they beat to- everyone. Right. The, but they, have they, they were the first six nations. Have they, have they also And seen- regions, I guess, Taipei and... and, and um, Hold on here. Macau. 
those are administrative regions. Have they dropped though, I guess is my question. Have they dropped like less than the others? They dropped a first... little bit compared yeah. to 2018, but still blew oh. everyone away. Okay. Okay. Um, and it was, let's see, these, those same countries and regions were the next highest performers in science, along with Estonia and Canada. And in reading, Ireland performed as well as Japan, Korea, Chinese Taipei, and Estonia. But still, you get the idea. If you look at across the board of these 81 nations and regions that took, took part in the Western world, it seems that education is in a tailspin. And what they did also did was they looked into why this could be the OECD. Thank you. Yeah. And they looked at the, the duration of the lockdown. So how long the restrictions were in place for countries that had a lockdown imposed mm -hmm. and it didn't line up with the drop. So it doesn't mean that the longer you were in lockdown, the more you dropped in the score. So you can't just say that it was Corona. They looked at digital devices in the classroom and the kids who said that they were distracted by digital devices in the classroom performed 15 points lower, if you said that. And also they looked at the time spent on devices. And this was a really, I don't know why they did this analysis, but if you... If, if you're a kid and you spent up to one hour a day, so less than one hour a day on mm -hmm. your device, mm -hmm. you scored 49 points higher than a kid who spent between five and seven hours. Five and seven hours. Yeah. 15 year old. Well, yeah, 15 years old. But that, that's a clear indication that digital devices also play a role. So it's not just one thing. There's there's an array of factors that have led yeah. to nations I've dropping. I've seen... But the, the bottom line is that test scores are dropping when it comes to the PISA, which is the, the only international comparison. Yeah, I, I, I've seen lots of, uh, so much to say on this one. I'll keep it tight. Mm -hmm. uh, quite a few videos originally from TikTok. And in that case, it was, it was very US-centric. Educators complaining about the same problem. Kids are coming into fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, underprepared. Um, lacking basic lacking ba really basic skills, skills knowledge writing skills attention span yeah and that opened the floodgates for the commenters to come in and and, po and say why they thought it was and digital devices was one of them okay um, pressure on educators seems to be increasing to force kids through or to pass kids to pass kids also pressure from parents in terms of what is expected. pass my kid well yeah. just all around pressures in in some countries it's politicized in some countries it's not um, and then also yeah, the digital aspect. So here in Germany, it's a debate right now whether or not digitalization should keep happening. I think Bavaria bringing out a, couple, a million and a half tablets next year, whereas there's a, a group of 40 academics here in Germany telling the government, please stop this. Mm. It, it is making kids stupider, not smarter. That's the allegation. Okay. I, I'm not sure the, yeah, the evidence backs it up yet, but it's an open question that we need to solve because these kinds of results, these drops... Uh, they, they... Yeah, they sound small, like a, a couple of percentage points, like you said. But uh, on the whole, if, if that continues, then we are creating a generation of kids who are are less smart. Yeah, that's not okay. And right. now, now that I'm thinking this through, France, I believe, since 2018, has a it's either a federal law or has regional laws where no devices that can connect to the internet are allowed to be brought to school. Device ban. It'd be nice By to look. people, including smartwatches. So are they, they have a are longitudinal they, look on what that's doing to kids' performance? Or are their PISA scores now better yeah. if, if that is the cause? But lots of open France questions. dropped 25 points in math just like Germany. So uh, then, yeah, then again, Not if, yet. if it's a federal law.
Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go on to, we, we're just talking about technology there at the end. We'll mm-hmm. talk more tech here and specifically voice synthesis using AI software. We've talked about this before, I think back in February. You synthesized my voice. I synthesized your voice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play an example of my synthesized voice just okay. to give you, all of you out there, an idea as to uh, how close I could get it to my actual voice. Here's a sample of me talking, but using AI software. Hi everyone, this is Connor's synthesized voice talking to you. It was created using audio samples from Connor's real voice, and now you can type in just about anything, and he'll kind of have to say it. That was not you. <laughs> Give me a break, it you was blockhead. Okay. Connor, he really kind of talks like I, Connor. He's got a. I this is Connor's synthesized yeah. voice. It didn't quite work with me. Yes, I, I put I put eight minutes of audio in in there, and that's what popped out. Okay, but the software is great. It has it can do incredible things. I'm going to play an example of one of those incredible things right here. This is a song that shouldn't even exist, really. Hello, I'm not Johnny Cash. So it's going to be forever, or it's going to go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over, if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex-lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane. Cause you know I love the players, and you love the game. Cause we're young and we're ready. I'm not sure, well you guys couldn't hear our sound engineer and his response to hearing that Garrett, our sound guy, said that that's frightening. And when Garrett says that something is frightening... It is frightening. Then it is. He's one of those guys. He doesn't mess around with words. What it does for me is it gives me hope that I get to hear Tupac Shakur. Again, again. I've been waiting. Those are out there. Yeah. Those are out there. You can find those. Really? Yeah, those exist. That was... Let me make something... Yeah, let me make something clear. That was from a TikTok channel called There I Ruined It. Uh, someone takes songs and does weird things with them and quote-unquote ruins them. But in this case, kind of made it beautiful. And this song is impossible because Johnny Cash died in the early 2000s. This, this was a Taylor Swift song, Blank Spaces. came out a decade after he died. There's no way he could have sung this. They synthesized his voice and made Yet him... from listening to that, it's impossible to think that that's not real. It, it's, it's, it's him. It is real. He's back. Yeah. He's alive again through AI synthesis. Yeah. So this is frightening, as our audio engineer has said. Can we stop it? Is there a way to stop it? And that takes us to the topic here. Uh, These are some researchers over in St. Louis in the United States. Washington University, right? Yeah. And what they're trying to do is to kind of put a filter over our voices when we put them out there digitally that stops this process. So so, so for every recording that is published online, you would put this filter on it and then it can't be faked? You could. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did with them is I got in touch and said, I, because it's not an app yet, doesn't exist. Nobody listening can go download this app and, and recreate what I'm about to show you. It's code that anyone who can code can do whatever they want with. Yeah. So what I did is I wrote them and said, look, guys, this is great. I can't code, unfortunately. Could you help me here? And can we, can we, can we do this test, this yeah. experiment yeah, with yeah. my voice? Yeah, yeah. So I sent them a clip. It's a, they got a short clip of my audio. Actually, I sent a longer one, but they used about 10 seconds of it. This was the sample that they had. In the academic world, people tend to be more reflective, more analytical, and less hands-on. That's not always the case, but it tends to be that way. That's you. You, you recorded that with your voice. Yeah, I just read some text into a mic. Okay. And yeah. the, the guys were like, wow, that's great audio quality. So like, <laughs> and yeah, then they could. coded? So then they took my real sample, and they're like, look, we're going to use this to, to create... A synthesized voice, like the one you heard earlier. Mm-hmm. And here's what, the, here's what they did with my voice. 
I have arrived at your house. Please open the door. <laughs> <laughs> so the <laughs> I am arriving. <laughs> that's not okay. Okay, it's that's not, not you. It's not me, but you yeah. can see um, from the text that they used what they're getting at. Yeah. If you could take my voice yeah. and synthesize it, you could convince someone to open the door. And now I'm getting into the home of a relative. I understand. Right? Yeah. You, yeah, see yeah, the, yeah, you, yeah. you see the problem. <laughs> okay. Now, what they did next is they used their software to put a filter over my original voice recording so that nobody could ever do that with my voice again. Can we hear that? We can hear it. Uh, get prepared. It's not going to sound that great, but, yeah. but here it is. In the academic world, people tend to be more reflective, more analytical, and less hands-on. That's not always the case, but it tends to be that way. <laughs> Were they putting you in an aquarium? Or like... Yeah, sunk me under the water. Okay. Now, if you were sending me a voice message... Yeah, but why would you do that to your... You can't put that on a recording. Right. Let me let me make this clear. This is a first step. Okay. This is I was I was and and, and thank you to the team behind this. Yeah. I, I think it's great. And thank okay. you for working with me on this. I think we can all listen to that and say, ah, I wouldn't I, put that filter over a message that I, an audio message I was sending to someone. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but what they're working on if they amend it and, and, and perfect it, then it's a first step. And what it's is a, it going to be? It's going yeah. To... So yeah, the key is d- turning some dials up and some dials down, mm-hmm. so that you can make it listenable and fine. But that if you tried to synthesize it using artificial intelligence, you couldn't. Got so it. if you take that Connor Aquarium version, yeah, right now it's anti-fake. By the way, these th- this team is uh, this is the anti-fake software. If you put it through the anti-fake software, um, and then try to use that audio sample to create an AI-synthesized voice. This is the result. I have arrived at your house. Please open the door. <laughs> no, I'm not opening the door for you. <laughs> have you... Connor, is that you? Oh, somebody, come on in, buddy. Are you sucking a helium balloon out there? What is going on? Okay, so... yeah. So clearly, they've... they've been successful. It's ninety five percent is the metric that they that they're stating publicly. Mm-hmm. It's ninety five percent better at not allowing AI software to mimic your yeah. voice. And the tip for people listening to this right now would be that if you want to fake proof your voice that's coming. Yes, it's, keep your eyes peeled. We'll let you know. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. The software is coming. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if at some point in the future, certain phones come pre-installed with this software. I, mm. I could see somebody, one of the major phone manufacturers or software manufacturers, buying it mm. and saying we're going to run everyone's voice through it. Or it could be a certain app that uses it all the time. I don't know. I think that's part of the reason they're making the code available. Let's use this. That said, if you make the code available, other people can use it too. And it's possible that in the future, that, yeah. AI software will will be able to undo that filter, yeah. and then. But at least it makes it harder for people who are going to manipulate others, and in order to 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 commit crimes and get money ultimately. But it's a step in the right direction, and it's something we should all be thinking about, or that you, our listeners, should be thinking about when you record your own voice. That's that's powerful. Yeah. People can use that in a powerful way that you're not even thinking about right now. And for Gabe and me. That cat's out of the bag. Our voices, there are there are hundreds of hours of our voices out there. If somebody wants to really, truly in, impersonate us, we have at it. We don't have, have a chance. It. All right. Thank Keep- you for that, Connor. And uh, and Chris, I hope we dazzled you with our brilliant content. And, and that it wasn't BS. Yeah.
when our sun formed, the sun that we look at every day or, or mostly every day. And the one that heats us? Well, I was going to say... Warms us? Yeah, but there are a lot of clouds in this part of Germany, so we do not see it every day, oh, especially, it. especially yeah. this time of year. Yeah. When it formed, and then the planets like planet Earth that we're sitting on right now, when that formed as well, what was around us in, in, in space? What was, how, how did the sun form? Yeah. Well, yeah, that and, and what, was, what was our immediate neighborhood like? And, and um, if it was crazier or hotter or wilder than, than we thought, um, how, would we, how would we figure that out? How would we know if that, that could have been the case while we were forming? Because we can't go back in time. Well, well, you would look at environments where such phenomena are happening right now? That's it. Yeah, <laughs> right now. And see, would life have been possible in this extreme environment? We are going to go to Heidelberg, Germany, to the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy, and talk to Dr. Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanos, who just used the world's most powerful telescope to get a glimpse into just that. Science Unscripted. Okay, so hi, my name is Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanos, and I am an astronomer at the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy in Heidelberg in Germany, and I study planet formation in extreme environments. Maria, you and a pretty large team just put out a new paper on planetary formation in extreme environments. What was the main conclusion? What was the main thing you found there? We found water, carbon dioxide, and other molecules and uh, dust that are key to life, but in a very extreme and harsh environment. Where did you find this? Uh, this is a star-forming region, which is called, uh, the technical name is NGC 6357, but we also call it the Lobster Nebula. It's at around uh, 6,000 light years away. So you're looking in our galaxy... Yes. 6,000 light years away. Yeah. What's, what's there <laughs> that you're looking at? Yeah, so this is a very extreme environment, as I said. Uh, it's not like, say, the solar neighborhood, but it's full of some stars that we call massive stars, which are stars that have at least eight times the mass of the sun. And because they are so massive, they are also super energetic. So they produce a lot of UV radiation. And that radiation... I think anyone who's gotten a sunburn knows UV radiation can burn things. It can be bad. Those huge stars are, are blasting, what, way too much radiation all over the place? So it's just, a, it's just a dangerous environment to be around. Exactly. Yeah, I really like that you said that about the sun because that's the analogy that I like to use. We know that UV radiation is very aggressive and we only get the UV radiation from the sun. Now, these things emit, uh, I don't know, 100,000 times more UV radiation than the sun. And uh, so they blast away all the gas and dust that is around it. And when stars are, are being born, they form a disk around them. And it's in this disk where planets form. Planets like our Earth and uh, the gas planets and like our solar system. So we are looking at, at these planet forming sites around stars like our sun, but that are nearby these uh, massive stars. Uh, let me frame that a different way. Yeah. So is, I think kind of the assumption would have been before your paper, that our sun is the size of our sun. And if it had been way bigger, way more powerful, and with l way more, 100,000 times the UV radiation, 
some people would have said, oh, that would have blasted all of the dust and the water molecules, everything out of there. We never would have had planets because that star would have been too powerful. Is that the assumption? That is still the assumption, and we still think that around massive stars there are not planet, no planets formed just because of that. So uh, we are still looking at stars like our sun, but in the neighborhood of massive stars, Do we... if that makes sense. So we are, we, ah. we are looking at solar systems, so solar system analogs, but in these very extreme regions. So it's like our sun with our planets, except there's a gigantic star nearby that's exactly. radiating everything with its with its uh, waves. Exactly, exactly. Which is also very interesting. And the, and the reason we, we do this, so the over overarching question is where do we come from, right? Yeah. And then the reason we're doing this study is because we think from simulations and observations of the solar system that the sun was actually born in such an environment. What do we know about that now? What, what did it look like? How did, where did our sun come from? Yeah, so we think the sun was born in an environment like the lobster nebula, full of massive stars. It's just that the lives of massive stars are shorter, so they are already dead. That's why we don't see them anymore. Uh, but uh, due to observations of the chemical composition of comets in the solar system and also of uh, certain elements that we find on Earth, we think that uh, there must have been these very massive stars at the beginning of the life of the sun, so to say, or uh, at the beginning of the life of the solar system. And, and what did that moment look like when our sun came to being? Did it, I don't know, blast off from some other bigger star, like a little burp from a, from a bigger star? Or what, what was that like? So normally stars are born from gigantic uh, clouds of gas and dust. And then these clouds start collapsing in what we call stellar clumps. And then each of these clumps becomes a star and uh, it forms a disk around it because of uh, physics. It's like uh, if the cloud is rotating like ballerinas, when they open their arms, they slow down. So the stars that are being formed, they need to open their arms in the way of a disk to slow down. And then this disk is where planets are born. And then in the case of the sun, there, was, there were, I don't know, millions of stars like the sun that were born, but also a couple of very, very massive stars. When you talk to people about what you do, normal people at a bar, at a, at a, at a cafe, do they understand it? Do they, do they care? Do you get indifference? I mean, I'm talking to you and I feel like I can feel my, my brain expanding to the size of the universe kind of with you. Do other people have that reaction or is it more like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about? Oh, I think... The the fact that that we are trying to understand where we come from gets the curiosity of many people. So fortunately, yeah, most of my friends and my family are interested in what I do. And that was Dr. Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanus talking to us from Heidelberg, Germany, which is beautiful. Yes, it is. Castles, the the Necker River, nestled. The the castles are. It's such a beautiful place to be on both sides of the river the hills go up on the one side you got these castles on the other side these hills that you can just the go walking in mountain biking in philo- the philosopher's path which i didn't the, the I path didn't walk. goes right up into those hills and then you've got these old german half-timbered houses littered throughout the the region <laughs> and it is and also the oldest university in in germany it's just yeah that too it's, 
That too. Phenomenal place. And the home of the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy. Which we were talking about today. And can, can you take me back through that? So the birth of the sun, how did that happen again? Okay, take, take Jupiter. Yeah. The biggest planet. Yeah. It's so big and there's so much mass that it has so much gravity that it can hold on to more gases. Yeah. Now the planet's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There are more and more and more gases. Yeah. And eventually it reaches a point where it's so big that the gases, either due to what's happening in the core or something else, they ignite. And now, now an you have a star. On... No, no. Now you, now, so now you have a star. And well, all I okay. believe all she was saying there is as various stars were popping up in a, in a stellar... Um, cradle or whatever they call it, where areas where there are lots of gases and things mixing around and where all these stars are being born, that at the birth of our kind of star, our sun, nearby, you would have had these giant stars. You've probably seen these videos. Stars are all sorts of sizes. They can be incredibly huge, red yeah. giants. Yeah. Um, in our neighborhood, in the, in the vicinity of our very young, new star, you had these giants r- roaring. They were like furnaces blasting heat not heat, but radiation everywhere. And the question was, or the assumption was, that would have probably disrupted the ability of a life-forming planet to form, right? It's getting irradiated. I I don't know if that would have an effect on water molecules staying together, if it would blast them apart. I don't know what the assumptions were. But it turns out by looking at this crab, I'm sorry, lobster nebula, Mm -hmm. that if you look there, that those preconditions are that way. It's an extreme environment. You would think this is not going to work. And yet you see the molecules necessary for life. And for okay. Planet. So that's yeah. where the spectra come into play. And they're looking through. She had an idea that this, that it was going to be like this. And then, and then got these 30 hours with the James Webb and the, the chemical analysis that she saw from that lobster area. Yeah. Uh, confirmed her, 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 her original theory. And now they know that this is an environment where stars are forming? Yeah, that's why the shock was seeing a pattern that was a spectra that was familiar. It's like a thumbprint that you know because mm-hmm. you've seen it so many times. And then you're looking at a place where that thumbprint should not pop up. And there it is. Like, holy smokes. Based on hydrogen cyanide and, and carbon monoxide and, and the other things that she mentioned. Yeah. We know for sure that right now planets are, are being born. You know, you know that the conditions are uh, there. For that for, to happen. For those kinds of planets, yeah, for those planets to form and for okay. them to be life-sustaining. And the question, the thing that they had to get right, and that was, at distance is that great, is a little trickier, I would guess, is, mm. you know, are we looking at the star we think we are? Are mm. we looking, or the area, that, not the star necessarily, but the area that we think we're looking at? So that has to be confirmed and checked, but um, the conditions seem to be there. And because of the precision of the James Webb, they do know, now know this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then they yeah. know this, of course, at every, every good study is even better if it's done twice. That would be one way to follow this up. And what it really does is, which is amazing, looking that far away, is give us insight into our own mm-hmm. neighborhood here. Yeah. These, these eight planets in our solar system, when, when they formed, no, yeah. what was nearby? You know, it, it'd be like... I I, well, I had no idea what we, what we were going to be talking about today, to be honest. You, 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 you mentioned it to me this morning, and I said, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah astronomy. You you take the lead on this one. I did not know that we were going to be speaking with someone who has pretty good knowledge of how our sun was born. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing in itself. And I think that's pretty well or relatively well understood because we can watch other stars like our sun form in real real time. There's so many of them Mm. or in semi real time. Yeah, I think it's more that 
what I what was completely new to me is I would not have expected that when our sun formed and our planets uh, formed as well out of that 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 accret- yeah out of that accretionary disk that we would have had a monstrous stellar giant somewhere nearby roasting us the whole time and that that would have been fine mm-hmm. it's okay we're gonna we, you know we're gonna- that'll die off anyways the bigger ones die off much faster than than, yeah. than stars like ours yeah and it didn't do enough damage like to make life impossible and that's that's just it's a detail it's an interesting one and i again it it, it i can i can feel it feels like you're traveling through the universe talking to people like that you're, you're, you're talking, it makes everything else seem so irrelevant yeah. in the best way. And then real quick, uh, uh, when did our Earth come along? I think it's 4.5, 4.5 years ago. But way after the, the, the said monster then had died off? That I, I would have been a great question for Maria and maybe for our next interview with her. Let's talk to her again. <laughs> yeah, but presumably after And, that and what questions should we ask? If you've, if you've got any out there for Maria, let us know. Send them via email at S- or to su at dw.com. W. Made for Minds.